Hi everyone and welcome to the Smart Cities Chronicles. Uh, my name is Adam Beck, your host of the Chronicles, my day job. As many of you would know, Executive Director at the Smart Cities Council uh, here in the Australia and New Zealand region. Uh, welcome to episode 56 of the Chronicles uh, and in fact this is our second in the series of The Week in Data and joining me for this uh, second episode is Priscilla Short from Deloitte. Priscilla, thanks so much for joining us. Hi, Adam. Thanks for, thanks for having me. I'm uh, honoured to be here. Oh, thank you for being honoured. <laughs> uh, I'm honoured to have you. Um, so, Priscilla, uh, many listeners uh, all over the world, in fact. Uh, can we start by getting, uh, getting a bio? Who are you and what do you do? Yeah, so Priscilla Short, I'm a director in our customer practice in Deloitte Digital and also a lead in our national smart cities practice. I started my career uh, many years ago in business intelligence and data warehousing and also majored in economics at uni. So I've always been really interested and have turned to facts and data to guide the direction of where we're going. So I'm really um, keen to explore this topic a bit more with you today. Well, that's, uh, that is, uh, uh, that's great. Hey, um, uh, as you know, these, uh, these weekend data sessions are unscripted. Um, we don't know where they're going to go. Um, I picked up on something immediately in your introduction. You mentioned the word, uh, and I got goosebumps, uh, data warehousing. Um, I heard the other day that the latest is data fabric. Have you heard of that one? Data fabric. Data fabric, like knitting together different types of data. Yeah. You know, we, we've, we've had warehouses, we've had lakes, we've got the fog, got the edge, got the cloud. Now data yeah. fabric. Have you heard I, of that one? Yeah, I think it would be, my interpretation of that would be that it would link the data warehousing with your BI. So data warehousing is right in the guts of pulling things together. So maybe the... the um, the recipe for the fabric and then business intelligence would be stitching it all together if we're going to use a, a fabric or clothing uh, an acronym there so that would be yeah so and i think that you can use that especially when you've got problems that you're not you can't see the direct correlation or the trends something like that that going deep into the depths of it and then pulling it together in different parts can really put a different picture or a different view on what that is, what the solution could be. Well, it's never a dull moment in the data world, is it? Data no, it's data not. Fabric, data fabric. Last Friday, I was at University of New South Wales um, and I had a gentleman come up to me who's um, exploring the idea of, you know, gathering data and reporting performance against the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. And he was saying, he used that BI term again, business intelligence. Can you, can you just, for folks on, on the podcast that aren't familiar with that terminology, why are we starting to see and hear in the smart cities world this, uh, this termino terminology of business intelligence? Why and what's the value of it? To me, I'll start with the value and then go to my thoughts of why I think the value is really there's a lot of data that's been you know there's out there in, in with cities and in local government and in government all levels of government in general and it's not necessarily been focused on um, to date much 
you know, due to possibly lack of funding, lack of uh, focus, lack of resources, many different um, ideas or reasons why. And also possibly at the lowest level, you know, with cities and councils acting quite autonomously. And the, the goal of business intelligence is really to look at our macro view of the smallest, lowest level of data. Um, so that's where I think now there's coming an awakening possibly from um, cities and councils on the need to collaborate, the need to look at what others are doing, both you know, nationally and globally, uh, and then also look at each individual citizen or customer of councils uh, and piecing together all of the different things that they're saying, that they want, that they need, uh, and looking at better ways to do things. So kind of feeding that into innovation almost um, to see what the trends are, the correlation is, and how you can collaborate and have a macro solution, so to speak. Problems. Is, is that different from the idea of data analytics and data insights? Not really. I see business intelligence as being the mac, like really harnessing that macro and putting trends over top of it. So seeing you know what your data is telling you as opposed to what the outside world is telling you as well, um, or you know statistics and references, data analytics quite similar, but often that's drilling down as well. So using the two together is really powerful. Mm. Okay. Um, well, thanks for that. We got, we got a little bit into the weeds early. Let's, let's step back. The purpose of um, the purpose of uh, the weekend data sessions is to uh, get a sense from our guests about what you've read, what you've heard, what you've seen uh, on all things data. Uh, I'm going to throw it straight over to you, Priscilla. Um, what uh, what have you heard, seen, or read recently that you want to share? Yeah, thanks. I um, was looking at some international, so IDC, International Data Corp findings, or a, a release that came out, I think, earlier this year, around global smart city spend. Um, so really taking that as a focus of smart cities globally on projects and improvements. Um, and they're saying that 70% of this focus is forecast to sit with cities, with smaller cities, so cities that are spending under a million dollars globally on smart city initiatives. Uh, I think this is really exciting for Australia because it means that the, the, you know, the majority of our councils and cities don't have a lot of money to spend on smart city initiatives. So this really means that it's, their time to start focusing and um, you know, focusing on smart city initiatives. That also made me think of you know, how they would do that. The why, I guess, is a global trend and also a real push coming from their customers uh, and citizens, and then also the growth of population in Australia in particular, um, and then in certain you know, regional areas. Um, so it's kind of, the how, how would you focus on this and get started? I think, um, yeah, the councils kind of know that this is coming and using this is where data can really help uh, them to focus and business intelligence on looking at that macro global level and then applying that to our local challenges and problems that we've got um, to get a direction and a focus for that moving forward. 
Uh, so, you know, we've seen a load of RFPs, RFIs, RFQs, EOIs out in market uh, quite a lot over the last two years, I'd say, and a lot have been coming again in the last couple of months. And a lot of them are looking for improvements in their customer engagement, CRM, you know, digital processing um, and the like. And to me, that seems, yeah, it seems like there is a little bit of confusion on where to start and where to focus. Um, so that kind of ties us back to what I was saying before with the need of data and business intelligence, so applying that raw data to, to your problems and then to how people have solved it to get that focus um, and direction on where to start. Uh, and I, I find, found that really, really interesting um, to, to see all of that. Um, so the other thing that we're really noticing is people are jumping to what they think the solution is. Uh, and often it's a technical approach. And again, you know, it would be, I think, a really nice thing to, to be able to um, use data to interrogate what the problem was and be able to pinpoint exactly where those problems are. So business problems, uh, where the trends are, and then maybe go out to market for their opinion of a solution rather than going out to market, telling them what the solution is. Are you seeing that in, in, in practice? I mean, in your work, uh, a jumping to a solution with not necessarily enough discovery or data sort of insights review creation before decisions being made. I mean, are you, is that a hunch or you, you're seeing that? No, we absolutely see that a lot. And that would be across industry. Um, definitely see it a lot in the local government area, probably more than private sector. I think it my, my hunch with the reason why is that it is seen as a time-saving solution or possibly, you know, you've got someone in there who has done something before and so trying to to fit that solution into you know, over top of the problem, but every organization's problems are slightly different. So I think that you know choosing a solution and even choosing a partner to to solve that problem with is yeah, it might be too it's too soon to jump into that until you really do understand what your own pro what the problem is that you're trying to solve. So we absolutely see that a lot. That's you know where consultants um, kind of shine. We can help solve those problems, but also, um, yeah, it's just seeing it quite a lot in local government. What, what, what's the, what's the, um, the, the, the barrier or the challenge or the reason why you think there's a jump to sort of a solution? I mean, you know, I recently saw a business case uh, from a local authority in Victoria who did quite a, I think, comprehensive business case on the value of, you know, digital transformation in their organisation. Um, it sort of uh, included a range of sort of analyses around sort of what's important, what's not, you know, what the current spend is, uh, existing pain points. Um, they kind of had some clear goals, I think, as to where they wanted to go and they were able to then, I think, weigh up, you know, a pretty um, 
you know, a, a pretty solid business case as to why an investment of X amount uh, would then yield or deliver, you know, a, a particular uh, v value as well. Uh, but I would imagine that, you know, not, not every local authority has the, the capacity, either time, money or resources to comprehensively m move through that. I is it a simple case of not enough time, money or resources? Possibly to start with, but you know, the whole, that's the procurement process, isn't it? A business case assumes that you know what the solution is going to be. And so you're retrofitting that in, in order to, to identify your benefits, your time to implement and that sort of thing or time to solve. So it's kind of a stitch in time, saves nine approach in understanding your deep, deep diving initially. And it doesn't have to be, it definitely, you know, it doesn't have to be expensive and doesn't have to be time consuming, I don't think. Um, and it would definitely save a lot of, time, money and agony on when you've got your business case wrong. You, know, you often see business cases that are great to start with, but then once you start going down that road of, you know, implementing what you've proposed, the business case becomes irrelevant really, really quickly. And I've seen that, you know, many times. There is a, um, an example I'd like to share with you. Oh, please do. <laughs> to, to um, yeah. A couple of years or probably five or six years ago, we were brought into a organisation to uh, help to define a digital strategy for them with an implementation plan to feed into their business case. They, um, they, it was a, a plate, you know, a, a it was a theme park. <laughs> I'm trying to think of a way to say okay, that. Okay, yes, yes. There's many of them around, though. Yes, so, yes, yeah. But, you know, there's lots of people lining up. There's, you know, you get you know, hundreds and hundreds of visitors every single day. So it was really around processing those visitors, knowing more about them, so knowing more about their customer, enabling tar more targeted marketing. And they'd already come up with a solution. So they were pretty sure they needed eye scanners at the entry point for their visitors. Because oh, do you mean, you mean, you mean I, E-Y-E, -E, yeah. eye scanners? Yeah, yeah. Okay. eye scanners, so optical. I thought you said ice scanners for a moment. No, no, no. I, sorry. All right, that's all right. <laughs> no, I scanners. <laughs> um, and so they were pretty sure that that, so they were almost asking us to work backwards from that. You know, pretty cool to have high-tech scanners at the entry point. We didn't really listen to them. We said that we would have that as a, you know, an option and we would keep an open mind, but we really wanted to understand what the root of the problem was. So we did this in four or five weeks. It wasn't a huge piece of work and it wasn't expensive either. But we did our, um, our analysis. We kind of did a lot of interviews with their customers, which they hadn't really done a lot. We lived a day in the life of their customer. Um, to understand kind of where their pain points were and did, you know, market scan of what solutions were out there and all that sort of thing. Um, we analysed how long people were standing in queues, how long it took them to go around the park, how long they were there for. Uh, at the end of the day, our number one sort of re recommendation was not anything to do with technology. It was to reorder the process that they went through to let customers come through the front gate. 
and then you could use digital behind the scenes to you know help them be more prepared but it was really to stop the the blockages by simply reorganizing the way that they went entered the park so as far as i know this place does not have eye scanners as yet and when they implemented that it yeah it solved their problem mm. um, and enabled them to then have much more happy customers be able to process them a lot faster, ask them some questions face-to-face -face around marketing, get to know them. Um, and, you know, people were in the gates a lot faster. So that to me is, you know, a real success in using data to solve your problem and not assuming that you know the solution beforehand because otherwise they would have, you know, fancy eye scanners and, you know, were scanning their customers' eyeballs and they would still be annoyed because they still had to stand in the queue for up, you know, over an hour to get mm, in. They're not mm. solving the problem that they've got. No. But so, yeah, so I would love to see that flipped around and I really understanding the problem and then going out to market instead of going out to market for our and building a business case around a proposed solution, building a business case and going out to market to see what the solution could be. Yeah. A lot of clever people out in the other world, a lot of people who have similar problems as well. So it's, yeah, I think using collaboration and using other people's experiences and ideas is always a really good way to solve problems. And I think cities, especially ones that are focused on you know, future thinking are at that perfect point at the moment because a lot of people globally are thinking about these problems and these solutions. So they're kind of in that perfect point to put that problem out there and the question out there and then synthesise all the different opinions and responses and resolutions that they would get. Do you think there is, I just want to sort of ask you about the people within the organization so you know let's just sort of focus on local government for a moment and i'm sure as i do you do you know we've all got friends in local government you know local government does it tough you know they they've got shrinking budgets but more demanding citizens you know so it's kind of it's it's a challenge all round. in terms of resources and schools of thought you know i i see in a lot of a lot of the larger local authorities here in Australia, you've kind of like got a core, you know, IT team, you know, hardware, CRM enterprise, you know, those, those folks. Um, there's a sort of like a, you know, a community facing, I want to say planning, economic development, community services kind of, you know, cluster. Uh, and then, you know, maybe kind of infrastructure, works, asset management, you know, and across the, the those sort of three clusters I've very briefly described, you know, you've got, you've got hardware, you've got data collection of different, you know, types. Um, is, is, is a lot of the struggle, if I can use that as an umbrella term, um, is, is, it, is it purely just skills and capacity 
um, I'm, I'm I'm still flabbergasted that we we still sort of I hear it all day every day that you know the, the silos you know uh, are, are wreaking havoc you know in you know all decision making and and other things. Mm-hmm. Um, but 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 is it is it um, is it a real skills and capacity issue that we have or we've actually there's actually really i mean you know i know wicked smart people within local government but um i i just wonder then if it's sort of that that sort of make up that machinery internally that um unfortunately is is the challenge i'm not too sure i mean because you know what what we're trying to do particularly with the the center for data leadership initiative is to try and create this idea of, you know, data leadership. Um, but it seems like data touches on every single part of the organization and therefore um, it's, it's sort of, you know, that, that sort of stickiness, which is hard to, hard to sort of pull apart and take a deep breath and move forward with what, what, what sort of, what sort of maybe the question is what's the biggest opportunity that we've got to to sort of move towards something that resembles better data leadership that's kind of stitched together and outcomes driven yeah great question um you're absolutely correct that there's disparate data across any organization um and across local government as well and stitching that together is always a hard thing. That's why you, know, you have data warehousing um, and that sort of thing, and a big focus, you know, data lakes, that sort of thing, to have that one view of your organisational data. The skills and capacity, I mean, I, local government that I've worked with, I think skills are there. I think it's a capacity issue more than the skills, because you're absolutely right, you get some really clever, passionate people who work in local government, um, but they may not have the time to be able to focus on stitching together all of that that data across the organisation. I think something as, you know, as a, um, you know, Smart Cities, as a, as a organisation that sits across, that sees a lot of different local government, there's possibly an opportunity to create a template um, or a how-to guide on how to, if you don't have much time or you don't have a resource that's full-time available to do this, this is how you kind of get started. Mm. With getting that single view of your organisational data, this is the area to focus on to start with that you'll get the biggest return on or the biggest value out of focusing on. Um, and you know, from experience across many industries, then these are the types of data that often are quite similar and mm. get stitched together. Uh, I think that would be that possibly is is what is missing. Uh, and then, yeah, the capacity is a huge council. Everyone that works at council is very busy, and that you know. But then, if you're understanding, going back to understanding what what the problems are and thinking about doing things in a more efficient manner, you know, the argument could be that there could be more time. So you're kind of creating a new focus on stitching together that data and then looking forward. 
I think you often do find that people you'll get people in HR who know that HR data inside and out, and you'll get people in customer who know that customer data inside and out, and people in assets who know that at that data inside and out within that one organization. So it's really just creating those linkages so you can see the correlation between, say, assets and citizen or customer data and trends and, you know, activities. Um, what else have you seen or read or heard this week that's of interest? What else have I seen? I actually, another interesting thing, I listened to a podcast mm-hmm. this week, as you do. It's called The Knowledge Project by Shane Parrish. He's, it's a US one, but they often have some interesting um podcast on there. So he was interviewing Scott Adams of Dilbert fame. And it was about his life. So it was about his, his life journey, how he got into being a cartoonist. Uh, I've often secretly thought that he might have been an SAP project manager. Um, but I think you know, he, he could have been. He worked in business. So he did a, he was an economics graduate and worked in business before being told that he um, was too, you know, he was white, middle-aged male and not diverse enough, wasn't going to get promoted. So he's quite open about this. So he decided to change his career. He'd always wanted to be a cartoonist and so learned about how to become a cartoonist. And that's how we all know him. And that's, I thought that was, you know, the main thing about Scott Adams. Um, not so much. He also has written quite a few books. Um, so, which I think are really interesting because these books are around using data to look at, you know, and asking questions to look at the different possibilities and different ways of solving problems rather than just assuming that what everyone else is doing is the right way to go. Uh, so, you know, really, so that pragmatic innovation, which I think is something that kind of we all really love that having a pragmatic solution to things and not thinking that the newest technology or the biggest you know the thing that everyone's doing or the most expensive solution is necessarily going to solve your problems quickly sometimes it is really the simple things that are going to solve your problems quickly so I yeah that's something really interesting that I listened to this weekend really made me think and I bought one of his books as well on the back of it so avoid loser think (laughs) <laughs> so it's not about losers but it's about you know thinking about you know going down that direction that's not necessarily going to make you you win you know, sort of winning solution so yeah it really i've struck a chord with me i um i i find that sort of sometimes the simplest things like just being aware uh you know of of what the data is saying you know could could potentially be um, you know, the most valuable kind of, you know, action or investment you can make. Um, it, it was, um, it was staggering actually last week, uh, on the back of, you know, what was a, uh, quite a horrific, um, domestic violence incident here in Brisbane, mm-hmm. in Queensland. Um, uh, I, I jumped on some, some domestic violence data in Australia. And um, I was just 
sort of you know sick to the stomach to sort of see uh, how bad it is and and i um i just sort of struggle to comprehend that you know the the, the data is so clear uh so we've we've got the insights I suppose the question is, is that translating into sort of action investment policy initiatives? I'm sure many would say yes, but um, um, I suppose that, and also off the back of a major federal government announcement late last year around, I think it was about $500 million worth of federal government funding going into commuter car parks uh, to apparently, quote unquote, help bust congestion. Um, I, I stumbled across some research that shows uh, a significant proportion of those that drive and park at commuter car parks often come from within about 450 metres from the car park. So the idea of you know reducing congestion on the network was just a furphy. Um, so... Um, just, I suppose, from my perspective, um, whilst we may have the data, which is quite compelling uh, and quite clear, it doesn't necessarily mean we automatically make the best decisions, do we? Exactly. That's exactly. Sometimes, I guess, it is confronting uh, and casts a mirror, you know, a mirror on on us as a society and what we accept and will put up with, especially the, the domestic violence. Because as you say, the data is there and it, it is pretty clear, but we obviously not making improvements. Absolutely. Um, and, and not wanting to, um, not wanting to end on a, uh, uh, a sad note at all. Um, I was at the launch yesterday of the New South Wales State Government Digital Twin. Um, and we kind of all kind of know that a digital twin is this emerging idea of a digital replica of a physical thing. Much of it has come from sort of the built environment camp. Um, we're seeing digital twins being created on the back of major infrastructure projects um, across Australia. Um, actually, uh, it was it was some examples that um, I saw from a Deloitte presentation late last year around um, airspace in Australia. Some amazing recreations, digital recreations of sort of living things and and sort of assets. Um, but uh, what really uh, got me excited yesterday was hearing the Minister for Customer Service, Victor Dominello, talk about kind of what is a technology product, a platform, but talk about it in a way that is purely uh, an outcomes driven, you know, kind of um, uh, a, approach to decision making. He, he referred to it as, as microeconomic reform. Uh, he referred to it as uh, an exchange platform for ideas and innovation. Um, hearing uh, a political leader um, talk about kind of what is a technical product in a way that um, just opened up our minds and I think really painted a very bold vision for, for what, that, what that sort of um, uh, digital twin platform could be was just outstanding uh, and sort of wished that we could, we could clone 
uh, Minister Dominello and, and place him around other states and territories. But um, uh, I know that there's a digital, a digital twin emerging down in Victoria where you are, Priscilla, around Fisherman's Bend, a large urban renewal area. Do you, do you sort of see the digital twin um, going to a place of engaging customers, engaging with the community? I mean, dare I say it's sort of a new platform for the idea of open and shared data. What are you sort of hearing what are you seeing around the concept of digital twin these days? Yeah, I, and what I love um, about New South Wales is they're using amazing technology because digital twins are so exciting, but using it as an enabler mm. to get to where they want to go rather than being a solution. You know, we've got digital twin and that's great. Um, I think I agree with you. We need to have replicas of that across Australia. Um, and it's really, really exciting. But, yeah, also using that as a way to communicate. So using digital twins to see that macro level of what's going on within, you know, the, the area that you've, you've set to have it. And then you're using the, the data that you're getting, applying artificial intelligence, um, you know, business rules, kind of where you want to go with it and applying that on there to give you that direction and that focus and then being able to share that with your citizens, your customers um, and the general public kind of shows, increases that transparency but also shows, allows them to have input into it as well. So you have that richer view and a common view as well of what at a macro level you, where you want to take this. I think that is also a way of what I was saying before, of kind of helping to visualise and understand what your, your problem is using data to get that and then appealing to the outside world to help you find the solution to the problem rather than assuming behind closed doors that you know um, where you want to go and how to solve your problem. Um, and besides the fact that like, digital twins are cool, they're cool to look at. Aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> yes, they're cool, but you know they <laughs> they have a very clear uh, value proposition behind them as well, which is always yeah. important. So, yeah. um, well, Priscilla, uh, we're at time. Thanks, uh, thanks so much for popping by on the Chronicles to share. Uh, a couple of views, ideas, and uh, insights from uh, from your week and uh, your meddling around in data related things. Uh, it's it's been a delight. Uh, thanks so much for joining us on the Chronicles. Thank you very much for having me, Adam. It's been great. And uh, for our listeners, uh, if you're not subscribing, well, I, I apologise. You know, there, there's there's uh, there's opportunities for you to get uh, get immersed in the podcast. Uh, Whatever your, uh, whatever your favourite platform is, we'll be there. Um, you can send us an email as well if you want to get in touch, chronicles at anz.smartcitiescouncil.com. You can head to the website, chronicles, uh, sorry, smartcitieschronicles.com. Uh, it's, uh, it's been great to have you listening on, on this episode, the second episode uh, of our Weekend Data. Uh, until next time, have a great week.